Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Progressions, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 12. We've got a really great one this week, and I'm excited to share it with y'all. A quick note, though, it was one of my earlier recorded interviews, so there will be a couple bits of conversation that will date it. So for my release week listeners, do know that the interview is from a few months ago. So let's get into this opening. There has been a reoccurring theme with a lot of my guests. It's the importance of networking and relationships in career growth. And as we've discussed in some of our episodes, here on Progressions, we draw a very clear line in the sand between dirty Hollywood schmoozing and authentic relationship building. Making music is a collaboration between people. Sure, you might make all the music yourself, but ultimately, other human beings will be involved. Maybe graphic designers, promo people, mastering engineers, Somebody else will be on your team at some point. Music can have teams of people working together for months on end. And working in these teams is where you'll build authentic, long-lasting relationships. Many of my favorite people are people that I've been in the trenches with on a project. Those are the people I know I can recommend for a job and that they'll bring their A-game. And they'll be as quick to get my back as I will be to get theirs. These are people that I want to hang out with because they become friends. See, you build trust with people when you successfully work together towards a goal. People know that they can depend on each other and that they have overlapping and complementary mindsets. That's what networking should look like. A network built like this will grow on its own over time because people within your network will speak highly of you to others in their own network. They will introduce you to people they think are like-minded and recommend you for jobs they think you'd be a good fit for. That's organic word-of-mouth career growth all because you do great work with people you enjoy spending time with. At this point, you might be asking, so is handing out my business card at an event dirty Hollywood schmoozing? Well, we should start with, business cards are something your boss gives you, and they're really fun to look at with your name and title and stuff on them, but then you should take them and put them in your desk drawer until forever. So now back to the point. You can build authentic relationships with new people. The same approach to organic networking that I mentioned before is what you should be taking to your outreach to new clients. Like I said, music is a collaboration. You get to choose your collaborators. We aren't selling cars, we're making art. Don't talk to every person at an event and try to get them to hire you. And don't message every producer on Instagram to work together. Connect with people that you believe are like-minded to yourself and fit with your core values, and do it authentically. If you're a fan of an artist, send them a message. Tell them you love the last record and that it inspired you. If there's a producer you really respect, hit him or her up and ask how they got that synth sound that you can't recreate. 
And these don't have to be famous people. Maybe the artist is a local band that you saw when you went to your friend's show. Maybe the producer has a bunch of beats on SoundCloud but no cuts on a major label. The point is that you authentically want to interact with that person. Is that going to result in getting a gig? Maybe. Maybe not. You might just have a really interesting conversation, trade a couple tips, and then never work together. But there's nothing wrong with that. I once viewed reaching out to a person as pestering them. And for that reason, I lost touch with a lot of past clients and probably missed out on opportunities to meet new people. To change that mindset, I had to flip it around and view it from the other side. If you were on the receiving end of a message from someone trying to reconnect or someone complimenting you on your work, how would you feel? Would you feel inconvenienced? I doubt it. If you're reaching out to someone from a genuine place, they will be excited to hear from you and most likely happy to communicate. I know that every time I've received a complimentary message or a question about my work from a stranger, I've happily responded. I've even become friends and collaborators with some of those people. So while we're on the topic of relationships, let's talk about the world today. As crazy 2020 is coming to a close, I've been thinking about the best way for this show to help slam the book on this year, and then toss it in a hole and fill it with cement. No, but seriously, I want to challenge this ridiculous phrase of the new normal. There is nothing normal about this year, and you shouldn't think that it should become normal either. And while we're at it, the term should have never been social distancing. It should have been physical distancing. People need people to create and to innovate. We are social creatures, and we require social interactions. And the challenges of 2020 have proven that. We've all lost touch with people this year, some clients, some friends. I encourage you to rebuild and reconnect with those people. Maybe there are people you lost touch with years before 2020 even began. Reconnect with those people. Pick up the phone or send a message. I said earlier that relationships are important for career growth. More importantly, they're important for all growth. If you foster strong relationships with positive and supportive people, you'll all become more successful and happier in every aspect of your life. So try leaning into that in the new year. And I wish you all a happy holiday season. Our guest today is two-time Grammy Award-winning engineer, mixer, and producer, Fernando Lodero. Fernando, originally from Caracas, Venezuela, now calls New York City home. He started his career out there at the classic Avatar Studios, now called Power Station, and has since moved on to work independently. His credits include artists such as Esperanza Spaulding, Vampire Weekend, Lady Gaga, and Sir Paul McCartney. His most recent work can be heard on Glass Cave's upcoming EP, A Spin Around the Sun, and Marzikan's latest album, Ursa Major. Welcome to the show, Fernando Lodero. Thank you for having me, Travis. Yeah, thanks Happy for joining here. us. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Been a long time since uh, since we caught up. I'm I'm pretty I'm excited. Yeah, because I feel like every time I go to LA, we try to get together, and it's always like a few minutes of like, hey, what's up? And yeah, well, every it. time you come to LA, you're working. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. You just gotta have one extra day somewhere for those people, you know. I know, man. I used to have a lot of extra days until I had my kid, and then. Yeah, exactly. Um, it seems like you, you're killing it. You're, you seem to be, you're always busy. You've got, uh, you've got two Grammys hanging somewhere on a wall, I'm sure. Um, so I wanted to just touch on, obviously, it's a weird time um, with New York. I know you're not there right now, but what's, what's it like over there? Obviously, we're recording this during the pandemic. It'll come out during the pandemic. Wait, this is going to be last longer than two more weeks? <laughs> um, seems like it. Well, it... So yeah, everything really slowed down in mid-March 
once like you know they started closing schools and asking people to stay home uh, and it was pretty slow for a while like I had about two months of like nothing because I had a few projects booked to record and of course everything got cancelled at the beginning of May end of April then people started working a little bit especially on the mixing side so I've been mixing a lot since then is mostly what I've been doing but I have recorded a few things since then as well like I came back, I was in Texas, like, you know, and I went back to New York for three weeks to finish doing overdubs for a project, which we did like two days at a bigger studio. And then we moved to my studio just to do vocals. And it was myself and the producer wearing masks in the control room, you know, and then the singer in the in the live room. Uh, and actually two weeks ago, I recorded music for four short films, which was the biggest session I've done since then. So it was like 12 musicians, you know, live. Okay. Uh, and it was interesting because it was a big studio, but because the union ha- and the studios have set so many guidelines to follow due to COVID, we had to like keep our social distance. There's like only three people allowed in the control room. And granted, this is like a big, big control room. We had to have like strings in one room. If there was a horn player or someone playing woodwinds, they needed to be in their own room. So I had my the studio where I was working linked to two other studios so I could use control rooms and booths as extra booths because of the separation that we needed. Wow. So it definitely made everything a lot more complicated, but, you know, at least people are getting back to work and that, that's a good thing because it's definitely hit our industry. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a crazy time. So studios are allowed to be open then? Yeah, at this point, luckily, New York is doing pretty good in comparison to most of the United States. True. Uh, so, yeah, things are starting to like reopen a little bit. Uh, most people are still are still being very careful, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, we're we're starting to to work with people again, thankfully. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so, tell us how how you got to New York. I know we met in Boston originally, but mm-hmm. what? How did you end up on the engineering path? Were Were you a player when you were a kid? Did you just have a electronics interest? What? How How did you How did you get started? No, so I always wanted to be a a guitar player and. By the time I finished high school, I wanted to go to Berkeley, but we couldn't afford it. So I went to another school in Mexico uh, and I was doing performance there as a guitar player. And my dad had put in my head the idea, like, you know, maybe you should study, study something like sound engineering, you know, just so you have a backup. I come from a family that, you know, it's like all engineers or doctors or things like that. They're not like in the arts world. So I think he just felt a little bit better about me having a little bit of like a technical thing in the back so I can like, you know, fall back to something else. Uh, I'm smiling because that's exactly, exactly me. I'm laughing. Oh, my yeah. Fa- my family was very, and engineers, you should, what about this audio engineering thing? So can continue. Well, and I was like good at math and physics and all that stuff. So even my teachers in school, they were like, yeah, this is such a waste of like your brain or whatever. <laughs> it's like, show them guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when I went to Mexico, I honestly, I was a kid, you know, so I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that there were people in studios recording music. To me, a sound engineer was someone doing front of house for concerts or something like that. Uh, so in Mexico, I, I was studying performance and then they opened like a little music production and engineering program. Uh, and it wasn't too good. But when I got to, to Berkeley in Boston, I was doing both of them. and I just completely fell in love with the engineering side. Uh, so I just focused on that one. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that I did. And so from Boston straight to New York? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I went to, to LA to check it out because I had never been to LA. Uh, it wasn't a first good experience because I was staying with, uh, with a friend, a friend of ours, actually. Uh, and he was living in the valley and I didn't have a car, so I was kind of like stuck 
like in his apartment for like a whole week, right? Which wasn't like very fun. Uh, and also, you know, like my girlfriend back then was living in New York, so obviously that was a big draw at the time. And I had been going to New York pretty often to visit, and not to sound cliche, but I felt like the city was calling me. So yeah, I ended up in New York. It's amazing. Um, and was uh, how quick did you get a job? What was it like then? I know what it was like in LA. You know, jobs were they were available, but they were tough to get. Um, how was New York then? I think it was the same thing. Like definitely by then, most of the like a lot of the bigger studios had started closing in New York. Right. Uh, but there were still quite a few open, and I know there was a bunch of Berkeley guys. Like pretty much everyone was going to Legacy, or well, it was called Legacy back then. Uh, and I knew Legacy was a fantastic studio, but they were doing like a lot of hip hop and those sort of things. And I was, I have always been more interested in working with like live musicians. Uh, and like full bands. So I knew of a couple albums that had been made at Avatar that I really liked. So when I moved to New York, I sent my my resume to that studio. Uh, and I think I spent my first two or three weeks literally sitting in front of my computer, just reaching out to every single studio that I could think of and sending out resumes and all that. Uh, and I got a call to work at this smaller place called Campo Recording. Uh, which doesn't exist anymore. And I was there for about a week and then they called me from Avatar. So I left and started cleaning bathrooms at a bigger place. <laughs> it's probably, it was a good choice. It's an amazing, I've only been in there once or twice. I haven't worked there, unfortunately, but it's an awesome building. Um, so how long were you, how long were you there? I believe I was at Avatar for five and a half to six years. Was there any like big, influences there, whether it was sessions that were kind of game changers and like eye openers. I know, you know, when you hit the the big studio for the first time, you get to the real world. It's like you relearn everything super quick. Any big moments? I mean, I got to work with some amazing engineers and producers and learn from some of them, you know, like, and like, you know, cause you, you did a capital, right? You, you take a little bit of everyone and try to start making like, let's call it like your own vocabulary as an engineer or your own things that you try to do. Um, I always love working with Todd Whitelock and with Roy Hendrickson, which Roy Hen Roy was like the chief engineer of the studio. Uh, and he's a brilliant, brilliant engineer. I don't know. I think what shocked me is like, I feel when I first went to Avatar for my interview, even I think taking back Sunday was in Studio B and my morning jacket was in Studio A and they were mixing a Muse album in Studio G. So I was like, okay, obviously this is the right place for me. <laughs> yes. It's a good, a good lineup um, for your interview day. Yeah. Yeah. At that point it was, I went upstairs to management just begging for a job. It's like, <laughs> do anything. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, so how, I don't know if that answered your question at all. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. Um, how quickly do people move through the ranks at Avatar? Was it, were you sweating it out as a runner for, for a while or did you get an opportunity to get your hands dirty sooner than later? Well, they had the fame of like rarely hiring people you know because everyone who got hired wanted to stay there and there's only so many like room for right. for new assistants and all that but when i started that the deal is they hired you for three months i mean working for free so they don't really hire you you're like slaving for three months you know doing like the whole general assistant like runner looking for groceries cleaning bathrooms cleaning the studios making coffee uh, and after those three months, if they liked you and if there was space open, they would hire you as a general assistant. To me, it actually worked, happened really fast because at some point they were, they needed like an extra hand in Studio G where Rich Costi was mixing because they were recalling 
uh, a mix to like make some changes and you know he had like a full SSL and he had like a Neve card and he had like walls of outboard equipment you know and they needed to move fast so the system asked for someone else to give them a hand I think it was in my first month there I hadn't even met his assistant or the studio assistant who was working with Rich and when he first saw me he asked me he's like oh who are you he's like oh I'm Fernando I'm the new intern he's like oh is there no one else available like obviously <laughs> He thought I didn't know anything about anything. Uh, but luckily, like I did know the SSL and its automation system very well. So when I walked into the studio, I was able to recall the console on my own. And after that, they started calling me, you know, because they knew I could do it. And some other people didn't know how to do it. And the assistant went to management and they, he told me, it's like, hey, this guy is really good. Like, definitely keep him if we can. So I think that was something that helped me a lot. And like within six months, I was assisting sessions. That's amazing. That's great. That's which is a lot quick. faster than yeah, very very fast for that world. Very fast. Yes. Yeah. When when you kind of jumped jumped headfirst into Avatar, obviously you had a solid education. Is there a lot of things that you you tried to shed really quick? Like you said, you knew the SSL automation. So if you were put in that situation where you were like put on the spot, that you were like, yeah, I know how to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, I felt like that. They had a, a G in Studio G. And I work with that one a lot at Berkeley. But other than that, they had like a J in Studio B and an 8088 in Studio 8 and a Neve VR in Studio C. And I didn't know any of those. So as soon as I got there, I was literally staying there every time I could after work if the studios were open to like learn them, you know. Right. And when I had some downtime, just taking the manuals and just reading them, maybe if I couldn't get myself in the rooms just to kind of like stay on top of things or like learn them a little bit faster. Uh, and you know how it is, you know, once you learn how a console works and the signal path is pretty similar from console to console. It's just little details, you know? So at least I wanted to know like the smaller things so I could help, you know? Right. It's just a different, uh, different name on the button. Right. Same, same, same task. Obviously you've been freelance for, I don't how long? Like 10 years, yeah, seven years? Like, yeah, like seven, eight years now. So what was the beginning of you wanting to go out on your own? Were, were there moments where you were like, man, I wish I was doing that record or think I could do that? Or you met somebody that that was like, hey, I really need you to be available for three months. Or how, how did leaving a great place like Avatar get into your mind? I think it's, it was because, you know, I felt I was doing a lot of the engineering work in sessions without getting the credit or the money. Uh, and that started getting to me, you know, there's like a lot of really brilliant engineers who was like every day working with them was, you know, was like a blessing. Like you don't stop learning from those guys. Uh, and people went to Avatar a lot because of the assistance, like really their staff was incredible. But there was a lot of other things that were coming through that, well, yeah, I was playing the engineer with, without getting, like I said, the credit and the money. But I felt that, you know, I had, I just had it, you know, like I was starting to get jaded because of doing all this extra work and yeah, I just felt like, you know, if I can stay there with like the best attitude I can bring to a session, that means that maybe I should move on to the next thing. And I also felt confident, but yeah, when I left, I think I just had like a one project booked. Uh, I was going to produce a band in Ireland. So I went to Ireland for two weeks and I produced, recorded, and then I mixed the album when I got back and it was making absolutely like very little money, but it was still a lot more than what I was making at the studio as an assistant. So it just felt like, oh, cool. I just need to make an album a month and then I make what I made in the last three months at a studio. So this is cool. Great. Well, how did you, uh, how did you set up doing a session in Ireland? Did you, you obviously didn't work there before. Did they have a studio they wanted to work at or were you guys building something in a home? No. Yeah, it was super DIY. Like I, I brought a couple pieces of gear that I had 
uh, and we set up in the guy's living room and we just recorded there. He was uh, at his dad's house, actually. And he was in this kind of like room that was everything was glass. So we had to put blankets all over the place to try to like deaden it up a little bit. But he had already talked to his neighbors and told them, say, hey, this guy's coming. We're going to make an album. So everyone was like super supportive. Like no one complained about having like really, really loud guitars and, ro- and drums because it was a rock album. Uh, and yeah, it was a very cool experience. That's great. Since you've worked in a world-class studio and you've worked in, I'm sure that wasn't the only house you've made a studio in. Do you feel like the setting has a different um, effect on the the artists? Are some people more comfortable in the big fancy place and some people just want to be homey? I mean, I th- I think it changes from artist to artist because some people need to have that or like to have that flashy side, you know, come up to like a big room that has all this fancy equipment and they look treated and the whole thing. But I mean, at home you're comfortable, right? You you, you don't have the pressure of like, okay, every minute is costing us the, this amount of money. So you have a little bit more room to like experiment as well, right? Which I think is very valuable when you're producing something, especially for newer bands, you know, like they might be playing for a while, but being in a studio is a complete different monster. And I feel being in that environment helped these guys do what they needed to do, you know? Right. In my experience, I've done so much work with uh, songwriters. Uh, they just seem to love the the less official feeling. I don't know um, how your sessions are these days. A lot of my sessions, people just like to cut vocals in the control room. They don't want to like press the talk back button. They just want to communicate. I don't know if it's how kids are coming up. I make us sound old. We're not that old, but <laughs> we're older than some people. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you, man. Uh, I'm, luckily for me, I still try to keep, I mean, like, as you know, what matters is that the artist is comfortable, right? Like, so as long as they feel comfortable and they're giving us a good performance, we can do a lot with our technology nowadays. Yeah. No, it's, I think it's, it's always most important to capture the, the feeling Make sure that everybody's comfortable, get the emotion, and it doesn't have to be the most expensive mic in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It also can't be the cheapest. It <laughs> be the second cheapest. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button, and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Um, so you've done, you've, you've two Grammy Awards. They're, are they both with Esperanza Spalding? Yeah, they're both for Esperanza Spalding. One was for Radio Music Society, which got Best Jazz Vocal Album in... 2012, 13, I don't remember. And then the other one is also for with a hair for 12 Little Spells and same thing, best jazz vocal album this last year. That's great. That's great. You obviously, you have quite a relationship with her. You guys have done several records and did you do front of house as well? Yes, yeah, so I've done three albums for her and at some point last year I started touring with her as well doing front of house. Oh, great. So she, she invited you out because you're just comfortable in that situation She's like, yeah, you're part of the family. Let's get out there and I want to keep working together. Yeah, and and she knew I had done some some front of house before. Like I toured with Kenny Garrett for two and a half years. So at some point, I don't even remember how the opportunity... I think it was like a small tour she was doing and she just asked me to come and then 
you know, we spent so much time together that I think she just felt comfortable and she trusted me. So, yeah, and then people kept saying that it sounded good, so I stayed. <laughs> that helps. That helps. Yeah. How do you like to jump back and forth, especially working with the same artist? So you, you have a studio rapport, and then you're on the road. You know, the road's like, uh, you know, you got one shot at that night. You're in the studio. You're obsessing. Did you have a hard time, like, separating between, like, this has to be perfect, we're in the in the record world, to that was a great show, you know, that kind of thing? I mean, I think doing front of house is so crushing. It's like there have definitely been shows where I walk out of there saying, that's it, I have to quit. I'm never doing this again. I'm not good enough to like do front of house, you know? And then you walk in some venues where it's just like, oh, done. I did sound check in 15 minutes to sound better than the album. Uh, so it, it's really, it's tough, man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done anything so hard in my life. And it always comes down to that, to the venue, even with her. On the last tour, we were traveling with, you know, our instruments, same band, our console, absolutely everything was ours, except the PA uh, and the rooms. And man, so, some nights it was it was tough. So, yeah, but uh, but I guess I'm always obsessive. So I'm always going to try to be to make it sound better to the, like the last note of the last song. Like I'm never just going to stop and say this is good enough for now. You know, I'm always going to try to improve it. And yeah, hopefully you win most of the times. So probably the things that draw artists like her to you is that you are not going to give up and you're going to go until the end and it's going to sound great every time. Hopefully. Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but I think also what happened is like on the last tour we were recording it, you know, so I was able to record it and do front of house at the same time. So I think that was a big part of me, like actually joining the bigger tour. Ah, okay. I feel like a lot of people are recording everything, whether they're releasing it or not, they're stockpiling an archive. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to do it nowadays. Exactly. It's, why not? It's just hard drives. Mm -hmm. So you've uh, you've built a studio in Brooklyn. I know I've picked your brain because I'm I'm in the process of building a studio. It looks great. You did it yourself, right? Yeah. So when so we did some stuff, and then the the landlord did some of it. Like he was trying to turn this whole basement of his building into studios and production rooms. So I rented a specific amount of space. And I told him this is how I want to subdivide it. And he did the subdivision for me. And then I did all the acoustic treatment. Oh, great. So you got in early enough to kind of uh, design a footprint. Yeah, I was, I think, like the second room in this place or something like that. That's awesome. The pictures look amazing. Yeah. So you you did, are, you're a handy person then? Are you using saws or did you have people helping you or you, you know what's up? I learned doing it. <laughs> so I had a studio <laughs> before this and I definitely was like, I mean... I had a partner and we built clouds and at some point we had to float the floor in the live room uh, and that was like the biggest project that I did and it came out fantastic. I don't think my floor in my apartment is as straight as ours in the studio. So that definitely <laughs> gave me like a big like, oh yeah, I can do this. And, and yeah, so we decided to just tackle it ourselves for this last time and it was definitely a lot more work, but, but we're really happy with how it came out. Nice. I'm seeing a... Uh... I'm seeing a perfectionist, I have to do it my way attitude that uh, I think is, we could, we could trace through I your career. I think it comes from not having money. <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes from not having money, so you just have to do it that way or you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, if, you have to, if you have to do something, you just learn how to do it and you do it right. And then you move on to the next thing. Yeah, we, absolutely. We have YouTube nowadays, man. Exactly. That's, probably, that's, that's the key tidbit right there from this podcast. Learn how to do it right and do it right. Yeah, just um, say you can do it and learn to do it before you have to do it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How long have you had that 
that space, how long have you been working in there? Uh, this new one has just been a year and 10 months. And I was in the previous one for like five years. That's great. Amazing. Yeah. So are there any things that you would you would share with people that are, you know, jumping in their car, they're moving to the big city, they want to get in the studios? Do you think the best way to start your path, is it still in the big room? Is it in the smaller room? Have you ever thought about that? What would you do now? I don't know, man. I think to me, it really depends on where you're going. I have friends that have worked at big studios and have made like really big connections that like, you know, launched their career when they went on their own. I don't think that was the case for me. I mean, obviously with Esperanza it was because I met her there when I started assisting one of her projects. Uh, but at the same time, it takes you longer to like get your hands dirty, like actually be hands on with a project. Versus if you go to a smaller studio from day one, you might be in the room already in a session, you know? So there's definitely different things to learn. And a lot of people, like, at least in New York, like, you're not really going to big studios too often. So they're completely different paths, I, I feel. I honestly don't know what I would do. I think just because of what I like doing, I would still try to go to a big studio uh, just to have that experience of, like, being able to work with, like, a big number of people at the same time as opposed to like being like in an overdub kind of like situation but i don't think there's wrong way to be honest i don't think there's any rules nowadays that we have to follow there are definitely no rules that's that's for sure <laughs> and for me also like a big thing of going to like a big studio or why i decided to like focus in engineering and stop playing is because i'm a foreigner as you know if you guys didn't notice my accent i'm from caracas like travis said uh, so I had to find a place that would be able to help me with a visa, like, and going to a smaller studio wouldn't have done it for me. That's, that's true. I didn't, I didn't even think, so you were able to get a work visa through there. You didn't, you didn't do the O one artist visa. I did the O one, but even though the studio didn't sponsor it, they did say like, okay, we're working, like he's working with us. And by then, uh, luckily I had working like a lot of projects. So I had some like very big like letters from very big people in the industry saying that you know i mean what those letters have to say that i'm the best even though it's not true but but it really helped me you know yeah the credibility helps when you're in that situation i know so many people work for those visas so once you're out on your own you're in the independent world was there were there any things that you did that you feel like really kind of launched you and got got some extra clients in the books when you were first starting out something that gave me some really good jobs was staying in touch with people you know like i'm very good with staying in touch with people just like saying hi or whatever i had worked with claude kelly a couple of times when i was at avatar as an assistant uh claude is a fantastic producer and writer uh, and i remember I reached out to him just saying say hey claude how's it going it's been a long time just wanted to let you know that you know i'm not at avatar anymore uh, but I'm still working now freelance, so if you ever need an engineer, please let me know. I would love to work with you again. And he actually happened to be looking for an engineer. So he called me and I became his engineer for like six months straight or something like that. Uh, same thing, like I, I reached out to to Todd Whitelock, who I assisted a lot when I was at Avatar, just saying hi. And he told me that uh, Mac Avenue, which is a jazz label, was looking for an engineer for Kenny Garrett to do front of house for him for one show. And they knew that I had like a background for of that. So they sent me to Poland to do a show for Kenny and he liked me. So I started touring with him for two and a half years. Uh, and same thing happened with Esperanza actually. So I worked on Radio Music Society and it had been like three, four years, which we didn't even say a word to each other. Like nothing bad happened. Obviously we got along great, but it just kind of like things happen. 
And I, when I moved into my first studio, I just emailed her. It's like, hey, don't know if you remember me. I worked with you for like two months in this project. Uh, just wanted to let you know that I just opened a little studio in Brooklyn. So if you ever need anything, I would love to work with you again. And the week after she was at my studio. And then we started working and she called me to do these writing sessions with her. And because everything went so well, she invited me to come to LA to do one of her albums. And, you know, here we are. That's amazing. Yeah, the the power of... Uh of just keeping your network alive and, and just being friends with everybody that you work with. I think, uh, you know, that story right there says, says a lot about the relationships you make and, you know, keeping those relationships alive, especially when you make a record, you're in a room with somebody Absolutely. For, for months. Yeah. And, and so much time of that month, you know, and it's something so personal that you really bond, you know, over the whole thing. Yeah. My favorite relationships that I've made have always been on on long projects. I've done so many like one or two day sessions and you have a good time, but you never really build a rapport with those people. But after a couple of weeks, you know, everybody, everybody's friends. It's great. Yeah. Well, and I think also that's uh, part of my relationship with Esperanza and her band and part of the reason why I went touring with her, because I actually don't like touring, going back to that other thing. I like being in the studio, but with her, it's like, it's the same band, you know, so we're all like really close friends and they're like kind of like a, a second family so we go to the shows and after the shows we're still hanging out because we enjoy being with each other and that makes all the difference in the world and that comes out in the music yeah absolutely i mean claude always told me that when we're working it's like the second it starts feeling like work then we're not doing a good job at it you know <laughs> maybe i'm paraphrasing because my english is not as good as his for sure <laughs> but it comes to that you know like like yeah this is our job but i mean it's fun. It's not about sitting down and doing something because we have to do it. Yeah. Once you transition your passion or your dream into your main source of income, I think people get burnt out. It can be tough. I mean, you and I both went to Absolutely. music school and we know a lot of people that dropped out that first year because, you know, piano's not fun or guitar's not fun when you have to do all that work. And I think that same yeah. thing applies. Absolutely. So just kind of on the way out, I, I like to put people on the spot if you can, if you can take it. Always. Yeah. I like to ask, what's your next goal? It can be, you know, Fernando's career. It can be Fernando personal, whatever it is, whatever you're willing to share. What's, what's your next big goal? And, and do you know what you're going to do first to go towards that goal? Well, I'll give you a couple. One of my big goals is I just became an American. So I'm going to try to get Trump out of office. I don't know if we're trying to get political here or not, but <laughs> if you're asking me, I'm giving you an honest answer. Um, music wise, I have been working a lot with bands from the UK. I really like that music scene. So I would like to keep digging deeper and like start doing more work over there. I mean, I love the US stuff, but I don't know, that, that music scene resonates with me. There is something about the music over there. What's popular feels like it would be indie and underground over here, but over there it seems to get more, more love and more credibility. And it's a lot of band. You're probably drawn yeah. to the band aspect. Absolutely. That, that is absolutely true. Like I, I'm definitely drawn to working with, uh, with bands. I mean, I still love working with artists, but I like just to have like a bigger group of people to like bounce ideas off each other. Uh, and I think it also comes because I, I like working in a team environment. Uh, and these careers, you know, can be like very lonely. You work from, you work in one project for a couple months and then you move on to the next and you start all over. Yeah. Uh, so I just like that idea of like trying to like be with a group of people. I've got close to a couple of labels from over there. So starting to feel like, you know, like sort of like a team. And I like that. 
yeah, teams teams are huge. When you find a partner or an artist or a manager, or whatever that you pair up with, it can be uh, super inspiring for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, uh, Fernando. We we appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been great. Do you want to let the listeners know where they can find you if they if they want to work together or they they want to chat or whatever? Instagram website. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. This is awesome, Travis. Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Fern in the Studio. Same thing on Twitter, and my website is fernandolodeiro.com. And yeah, we'll try to type it. <laughs> All of that will be in the show notes, uh, so you can click on that and have links. But uh, thank you so much, Fernando. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that's it for episode 12. Thanks for listening, and please like and subscribe. Share the show if you're enjoying it. Join the conversation over at completeproducer.net, and don't forget about the progressions offer with Turning Point Coffee Roasters. So we'll see you next week.